Hi, and welcome to Renewal Conversation in this shared space and time. I'm Dr. Ioana Popa from Team for the Soul, and I'm passionate about science, psychology, spiritual care, and ancient Christian faith, and the sacred spacing between all those spaces. And I am excited to bring Renewal Conversations. I love bringing amazing human beings, just like you, who are dedicated to give, to make an impact into the world, so we can learn from their life and their vocation and also what they do to regenerate and the lesson they learn along the way to regenerate and renew on the go as they keep on giving. And today I have the pleasure to present today Dr. D. Jacquet, and she's a spiritual director and psychotherapist, and she's also a mentor in contemplative prayers and spiritual direction. Dr. D, she's a diplomat in clinical supervision and pastoral counseling, and also a CPE, clinical pastoral care supervisor. And she also teaches, and she's such a wonderful, amazing human being. I met her a while ago. She's also, interestingly, represented Eastern Orthodox Christian women from America at the Three World Council of Churches International Conferences, and also has been a leader in a variety of Orthodox Christian ecumenical and interfaith settings and activity. She has a wealth of wisdom, a wealth of trainings and experiences, and is such a kind human being. So I am delighted to invite Dr. D today. So welcome, D, Dr. D, to our conversation today. This is so lovely to know you. I don't know how many years we know each other, but at least five or six, we met yeah, at a conference. I think so. I heard your presentation and I was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. I got to meet her. And the rest is history because we've been in touch so many times and welcome, welcome to this space. And I am just curious, as this space is for people who love to give, love to make an impact into the world, want to help others. So they're givers and you are such a giver and inspiration and you've done that all your life. So I'm just curious, what can you share a little bit about your vocation, about your journey, and what brought you and motivated you to help others? Because I can see that throughout your life. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm just really curious. Well, thank you, Joanna, for inviting me and for the question. I would have to say that what motivated me was the presence and action of the Holy Spirit. Because, um, you know, a lot of times it was a path I wasn't necessarily interested in going down. <laughs> and something kept luring me in this direction and I'd look at things similar to it and I'd evaluate what they would have me do and I'd push them to the side and always come back to this um, trajectory that had a spiritual center to it. Mm. Um, I was born and raised uh, cradle or Eastern Orthodox, Greek Orthodox. I always say I was brought up on a Greek Orthodox island in the middle of the Mississippi River uh, because there were a lot of immigrants in that little town and so it was um uh, we lived in an um, extended family uh, my grandmother was a big influence you know and the greek um, culture she was um, illiterate in two languages and so what she brought me was this beautiful um perspective uh, growing up in her village in greece of community and uh, being part always part of community 
And she also brought me this perspective of always relying on God. Um, the little old Greek ladies that met with her would always end every conversation with a Greek phrase, echiotheos, in other words, God's got it. Not just that God's going to take care of it, but God has room for no matter what happens. God will, will welcome, no matter what happens, God will have room for it. And so that's so, interesting that you use the past. God got it. It's not just he will do it. It's, it's doing it. He got it already. So that kind yeah. of, uh, yeah. And yeah. so the people who might not know about God or the Holy Spirit, like that kind of discernment that you're saying, always following the Holy Spirit, only trusting God, like how did you actually know that? I would imagine being brought in a Christian family, it's one thing, but owning it and embodying it, right? It's another thing. So how did you actually know so it could be of guidance for other people who might not use the same language? Well, it's hard to do when you're very young because as adolescents and young adults, you're figuring out your life and you're also very busy with your life. And so don't, my first word would be don't hold super high expectations about discernment of your of your calling too early in life because you're busy doing the job of living your life. But as the appropriate time unfolds in the universe, you will become aware of mm, choices to make. Right. And the way that I always did that was I would just kind of give it up to the universe. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'd intentionally try to be specific about this is what I'm struggling with. Give it up to the universe, go to sleep, get up the next day, think about it in that same way for a few weeks. And I'm a believer in signs or in insights or something would come through a dream or something to help me discern in an intuitive way, not a necessarily an intellectual way um, mm -hmm. that, oh, this feels right. It feels right. This is where I'm supposed, this is the door I'm supposed to open. And in fact, I see it gradually opening before me already. I, and see. It's, I love that. Go ahead. It's just a process. Yes. And I love your process, right? Send it to the universe. It almost like you've entered a relationship with the universe. Mm -hmm. I heard this um, from someone else that, oh, we have relationship with the universe. There are times when we know the universe has our back. So mm -hmm. that trust, you're, you're talking about some trust there and say, I'm going to give it to the universe and be patient and within a few weeks kind of hold it gently and something will come up on an intuitive level in a dream or feels right when you say feels right kind of aligned or in your body or what is that feeling right for you uh, again just to give some tips because many people struggle with this and they want to do it but they don't have necessarily a process i think getting silent um, and pushing aside the distractions of every day and entering a space where you're trying to become authentic with integrity, where you examine your values and what's important to you, and you measure the outside by your interior yardstick. You find out who, who am I, uh, what do I wanna become, what are my values, and you use that as your interior yardstick moving toward integrity and authenticity, instead of using some external yardstick that is being imposed on you or offered to you. Mm -hmm. Well, that's so beautiful. The sense of your yardstick is authenticity, integrity. Don't compromise that. 
and wait for, send the intention to the universe, wait, and then you've got clarity at some point. I love yeah, that. and then you just choose which one brings me closer to that authenticity and which ones take me farther away. And you just keep making that decision. Success is not perfection, it's persistence. You yes. Just keep persisting and using that same yardstick over and over. And it, you may not see big results. In fact, you know, I know that I've done it in retrospect. Retrospect, hindsight is always 2020. So more and more, as I look back in life, I see that nothing was wasted. Mm-hmm. And that every choice led to the next step. So it's not as if I have to figure out the whole plan of my life. Your life is unfolding from day to day and you need to live in the now. Um, but you can make the best decision possible in the now. My dad always used to say, I'm always right at the time. The facts may later prove me wrong, but at the time, I'm always right. Yes, yes. We do the best we can with the information we have at our time. Yes. Yeah. Oh, this is so cool because that's exactly how I approach things as well. Like even in my course that I teach, this idea, let's find first what our priorities, what are our values, and what is our, that ultimate reality, whatever we call it. And how do we want to relate and live our life? Um, Sebastian, my husband, many, it's really struck me in chaplaincy, meeting people at the end of their life. And he said, people at the end of their life, they don't talk about their, what I did at work or how many houses I had or the millions that I had. I mean, he worked with millionaires and that never mattered. It was more, how did I live my life? Did I live a life in integrity? How are my relationships? And I think that what you're saying is so crucial and it's quite on the uh, foundation, but we don't hear that in our culture. So thank you for really bringing this message. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm curious that your life transforms. So as a, as, a, as a giver, as a person who did so much, I mean, you're a psychologist, you created so many programs, you create a chaplaincy organization, um, spiritual direction, led so many things and give. And I mean, do you want to share a little bit about your journey, how you discovered and how this unfolded? Well, one thing led to another. I would say that when my son, I have two children, a daughter and a son, both of them are married now with children, five grandchildren. But, Congratulations. Uh, my son, yeah. Um, when my son was about nine, which is even before what people accept to be the age of getting in touch with moral development stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were out taking a walk and he was bouncing his basketball. And <laughs> he knew my struggle because I was born and raised Orthodox Christian. I went to a Lutheran seminary. I mean, a, a Lutheran undergraduate school that also taught seminarians. I went to the Lutherans, the Methodist, oh, Methodist. I did my master's with the Methodists and my doctorate with the Presbyterians. The master in divinity, right? You did your master in divinity with the Lutherans. Yeah, with the Methodists. With the Methodist. Yeah. And anyway, so um, I always was kind of on the outside. That was kind of the theme of my life as being an outsider. Even though I was blessed to be in a secure family and not in a terrible situation like war or, you know, I was in a very secure family, but I always struggled with this sense of being outside. So my son would see me when I was at Iliff at that time, and they were Methodists. People asked me, what was it like for an Orthodox Christian to go through a Methodist seminary? And I say it was kind of like a porcupine passing through a boa constrictor. It was that much fun for me and for them. And at the time, it was really tough because nobody knew what Eastern Christianity was, and I really didn't either. I was in 
in this uh, divinity program trying to find out what it was. And I had help from many Orthodox sources with that um, in distance learning. But anyway, so I had this circle, this triangle I would run. I'd go to the Methodists and I was mad at them because they didn't understand Orthodoxy. And then I'd go to my priest, my Orthodox priest, and I was mad at him because he didn't understand feminism, which I was very much uh, convicted about, you know. And so I would run back and forth, back and forth. And we're on this walk and my nine-year-old son, who, who has a sense, he may not know it intellectually, but you know, they, kids know things anyway. They do. And we're on this walk and he says to him, mom, he says, you know, when you're, when you're with the Methodists, you're never happy because they don't understand Orthodox. When you're with the Orthodox, you're not happy because they don't understand women's rights. Um, at this rate, you'll never be happy, he says to me, my nine-year-old. He says, why don't you just decide that when you're with the Methodists, you're happy that they understand feminism. And when you're with the Orthodox, you're happy that they understand Orthodoxy. I looked at him. <laughs> that is that brilliant. Was, uh, that was, the, you know, how dumb. Uh, uh, that was the beginning of what I call my rainbow journey because mm -hmm. I started out in a rut between two pits, okay? And that's what my son was pointing out to me. And so gradually, uh, by awareness of that, and then prayer and meditation and intellectual focus on it, gradually I practiced and I came to the place where I could enjoy. Instead of living in this rut, uh, I built a rainbow bridge. And so on the one end, I was happy with the Methodists. On the other hand, I was happy with the Orthodox. By then, I was also with the Presbyterians and working in an interfaith ministry. Mm -hmm. So still, I'm walking between these two pots of gold at the end of each rainbow. As life went on, and I kept asking questions about why is there distinction? Why is there division? Why do I have to walk back and forth between these two pots? Mm -hmm. And gradually through the same process of discernment uh, grew. I mean, it takes time uh, to understand that I didn't have to run back and forth. I could walk back and forth and eventually I could lie down. <laughs> I could lie down in the rainbow and just rest in the middle between the rainbow and kind of glance at both sides to be renewed, you know. And finally, I realized that the rainbow was as big as the sky. And I didn't have to worry about two pots of gold. There were a number, there were an infinite number of pots of gold. And all I had to do was lie down in the universe, in the rainbow energy of the universe, and uh, enjoy it and cooperate with it. And that's pretty much how I describe that, my journey. <laughs> that is so beautiful. And I, when you said that, that so resonated with me because I started my journey in science, you know, as a physician. And then also in terms of the mental health, the psychological world. And sometimes it feels like the pot of gold for that, it's kind of in the other side with the pot of gold for faith. And then spiritual care, interfaith, it's kind of a, its own world altogether, as opposed to the Christian world and being in between those pots. I love that. How about if I just walk between them or maybe I can just lay down in the rainbow. I just love that. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And you've worked as a, and what kind of functions and roles you've worked because you've helped so many people. Can you just quickly kind of run us through the different? Well, yeah. After seminary, I, I was certified by professional certifying bodies to become a pastoral psychotherapist, which is a double discipline of theology and psychology. And I also had a certificate in spiritual direction from St. Thomas Seminary, Roman Catholic Seminary in Denver 
I, I, my career was mostly in Denver. I live on the west side of Colorado now, and I've been retired for 15 years, and I just do what I can and keep my hand in. But I was first, I was a pastoral, so I always had three jobs when I was in Denver, and they were all part-time. I had a husband who had a full-time job with benefits, so I didn't have to worry about health insurance. But I worked as a, a teacher. I was adjunct professor at Regis Jesuit University, teaching religious studies, so that was fun. Teaching adults going to school at night to get their degrees, and they're, usually their business was paying for it, but Regis required you to take two religious studies courses. Mm -hmm. So it was a challenge of teaching uh, religious studies to students that really didn't want to be in a religious studies course. And I used to take them on field trips to the Buddhists and the Hare Krishna, and you know, um, we made it a lot of fun, but and enjoyed teaching comparative religions, death and dying, women's religions, and adult spiritual life. So you were just saying teaching at Regis College, that was one thing. Yeah, teaching at Regis University in religious studies, uh, uh, five or six courses, and it was so fun to see the aha come on in adults that really weren't thinking about religious studies otherwise, but to make it practical and um, you know authentic for them. And then I was a pastoral psychotherapist in private practice with a group called Pastoral Counseling for Denver, and also was working sometimes as a chaplain in a hospice mm -hmm. or a, a hospital, did some work uh, as um, at a men's clean and sober homeless shelter. We started an Orthodox Christian homeless outreach center where we gave away food and clothing. Um, I don't, what else? I don't know. I did a little bit of spiritual direction. I do a lot more. And then gradually I went into um, training chaplains. Mm -hmm. When I retired, then came to Grand Junction, Colorado. We founded a new uh, training center here, which is the only center between Denver, Phoenix, and Salt Lake. So it was rural, really needed it. But um, have training really for chaplains, right? Training for chaplains, yeah. Training for interfaith chaplains who work in a pluralistic setting. Mm -hmm. uh, and then did a bunch of Orthodox stuff in terms of, usually it was about interest uh, in supporting Orthodox unity and women. I'm on the advisory boards of St. Phoebe Center for the Deaconess, of uh, Axia Women. Back in the day, I founded a group called Women's Orthodox Ministries and Education Network, acronym WOMEN, which was by, for, and about lifting up uh, women's leadership in the church. Mm -hmm. And also was active, created a group called Orthodox People Together, supporting the unity of all American Orthodox jurisdictions into one jurisdictional church. Um, so that was the, the bulk of my professional activity when I lived in Denver. Did created fourteen women's conferences in America and two That's or three. That's so cool. Yeah, so a lot of work for women and um, women's discernment, the special needs that women have. A lot of people have heard in the Christian tradition of the Titus two ministry of women mentoring other women, but just very interested in serving uh, underserved populations, but particularly lifting up women's leadership and women's self-confidence. I did a lot of counseling with um, particularly lesbians. I don't know why uh, word got around Denver that I was a good therapist for that because I wasn't engaging in uh, the kind of therapy that tries to make you wrong and convert you, conversion therapy. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, therapy with gays and lesbians is the same as with anybody else. They have their own problems just like we all do. And so anyway, um, was into that scene for a while. 
When we retired, now we have a vineyard. We came to this little town on the west slope of Colorado, but I immediately found a, a very lovely group of spiritual friends and uh, am able to do a lot of things with them in terms of offering retreats here. Uh, really got more into uh, centering prayer here and I'm teaching now, I'm teaching a, a class in mindfulness meditation, a, cl a class in centering prayer, I'm volunteering at the hospice, um, doing spiritual direction for mm -hmm. the chapel. So, you know, you can always find a way to, to use the gifts that were given to you. And I'm blessed because I'm retired and I have a lot of time and I can do exactly as I please. I think when you're young and you're trying to balance family and work and all the needs of youth, um, it's a lot harder. So you have to simplify it a lot and be content to do what you can at your stage of life. Right. Time for everything under the sun. And you mentioned centering prayer for someone who might not be familiar with that. I think nowadays pretty much everyone is familiar with mindfulness, but maybe just a couple of words about a centering prayer and the mindfulness, the way you express it or teach it. And mm -hmm. especially well, that a lot of Christians might know the centering prayer or might not agree with mindfulness and vice versa. So you're, you're this beautiful human being that you don't find any contradiction in that. So I'm, it'd be really cool to see it, how you see it. The way to not find contradiction in things is to give up logic being the only way that you assess things. Mm -hmm. If you broaden your perspective to include the intuitive aspect and to include the, the unknown aspect that we can't possibly know. If you try to give three answers to everything, you'll have a lot more success rather than choosing one answer. Because one answer usually has gonna be rooted in some sense of bias over and against something else. You fall automatically into dualism, into yeah, polarity. Yeah, dualistic thinking as opposed yeah. to move beyond that. Yeah, like and that. so as much as you can, try to find the other side, walk in the other, the shoes of the other side um, and appreciate it and learn to uh, love it and be compassionate toward it. Um, and gradually you'll be able to um, uh, transcend and include everything that came before in the words of Ken Wilber. So it's just, you know, the Buddhists say, I take refuge in the Sangha, the Dharma and the Buddha. Uh, and the Christians say in the Nicene Creed, I believe in uh, Jesus Christ, I believe in the church, and I believe in the life eternal to come. Well, ultimately, at the bottom, they're the same thing. I'm, I believe in following a wisdom teacher who has already done it. I believe in doing it in community, in relationship with other people. And I can't think of what the third thing is, but it's probably obvious to you, and you can say it. Mm. But... Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. The moving yeah. of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, the, 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 process, Spirit. the process. The process yeah. of moving toward the future. I believe gotcha. in, in uh, being part of that process in an intentional way, intentional. not just an unconscious way, which is where we spend a lot of our life. But once you become aware that there's something more, to use every day, to use your intention and attention both to be centered on, okay, what are my values and how can I contribute to following the path of wisdom that I've chosen, doing so in relationship with every person and creature that I meet, and looking with uh, joy and anticipation and compassion to the Right. Creature. 
and centering prayer. Do you want to say a few sentences about that? Well, um, silence is the, the first language of God. Most mystics or meditative people will say that. There are lots of uh, people from different traditions, but I fell into the prayer of silence. I had heard about it through the Orthodox tradition, uh, the Jesus prayer. I had tried repeating the Jesus prayer 40,000 times, just made me tired. It wasn't the way for me. There's different ways to do meditation. Concentrative, where you focus on one thing and let everything else fall away. And an open-ended one that's uh, more inclusive, where you broaden the lens and you bring everything in and you pay attention to everything that arises. For me, the, the concentrated prayer is more effective. Each person will be different. But I really got into the practice through the Contemplative Outreach Center in, in Denver, Colorado, which was founded uh, from the work of Fathers Basil uh, Pennington and Father Thomas Keating. Mm -hmm. Father Thomas Keating is a Roman Catholic monk who was at um, St. Um, at, uh, what's the name of the mo Snowmass Monastery. In Wasn't Aspen, he Colorado. in Massachusetts at some point? Yeah, he used to be the abbot of the, of the Trappist mm -hmm. Monastery in Massachusetts. But for many years, he was here in, in Aspen, which is very close both to Denver and to Grand Junction, where I am. And so as a result, the world headquarters of Centering Prayer is in Denver, and that's mm -hmm. where I went. And we had the benefit of being taught by really big um, established uh, uh, enlightened leaders in the Centering Prayer movement, which is basically it's a, it's a movement of concentrative prayer, which is uh, in suggesting that you still your mind mm -hmm. and let everything else pass and present yourself to the the presence of the universe and invite the universe to come and fill you with its peace. So mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a, a way of not thinking. And right. uh, you do that with regular practice, 40 minutes a day. And it has to be regular to have results because, you know, if you go to a doctor and you have a disease and they prescribe an antibiotic for it, if you just take the first pill and quit, it's not going to make any difference. So you have to finish the course. So you, you pick whatever kind of meditative practice works for you. And so Centering Prayer was mine. And, it, and Father Keating had the wisdom to follow it up with communities where you could practice together mm -hmm. and ongoing resources and steps along the journey type of stuff. So through entering with Centering Prayer, I got more into the prayer of silence, the Hesychist prayer of the Orthodox Christians. And really, uh, mindfulness... At first, I thought mindfulness was only focused on, you know, uh, what am I going to get out of it? I'm going to get peace of mind, and I'm going to get a lower blood pressure. But when you learn more about it, you know, it comes from the Buddhist tradition. And what it's really all about is learning to be aware of yourself and the obstacles you create to compassion and to relationship. Mm -hmm. And so all of those traditions take you up, up, up. Uh, as you delve more deeply and more with more, I don't want to use the word discipline. Discipline sounds like something from outside that people put right. on more. I want yeah. to use, when you use more integrity with your authenticity mm -hmm. to consistently mm -hmm. choose this path for yourself. That is a discipline, but it's an interior discipline. Right. And it's and by it's, choice. It's a sense of freedom. You're bringing the the particular habits or rituals in a way to to help you move forward and progress in the interior life. 
Oh, that's so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. I remember when I was younger, I read a book called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff and Everything Small Stuff. Yeah. I thought, baloney, there's a lot of stuff I have to sweat. But as you progress in this in this journey, you do get to the point where you realize, yeah, everything really is small stuff. Mm. You know, the ego, the self-centered ego shrinks, shrinks, shrinks so small that it can fall into the authentic self, into the into the heart. The mind shrinks until it falls into the heart. Mm. And then the heart, as you pray more, as you meditate more, as you release yourself more to the power of the universe, the heart shrinks. It shrinks so small that it that it falls into the presence of the universe. Mm. And the presence of the universe is um, just huge and very comforting and very peaceful. And from there, you can come back and just bring with you a reservoir of compassion and kindness and intention for good um, and intention for keeping watchful with yourself that right. you always stay on that course. And how did this impact your work with others? Because I'm sensing that by doing all those practices, right, there's something, and I don't want to assume here, but reading between the lines, there's made you, did it impact at all the way you interact with others? Oh, yeah, there's a lot less striving. It's a lot less work. You just... Um, come up to every person and every experience looking for the presence of the higher power and um, trust in that and then see where that person or that situation is getting in their own way and either work around it without them knowing it or help them realize it so that they can work around it. It's just a lot less work. It's, it's less um, work, yeah. And many givers, they wrestle with this idea as they see the movement of the divine or God, however they call it in the other, and they want to help and want to help. Sometimes it's hard to set boundaries because mm. once someone starts to give, it's almost like everyone else notices that. So there's more needs, more needs. So all of a sudden there could be a phase where someone can get overwhelmed because there's so much one can keep up with all the demands and the pain and suffering in the world. What would you say about this process as a way to helping with boundaries, setting boundaries and when to say no in this, in this process? Is there a way to discern that you've used that you'd like to share? Well, meditation uh, of any kind will help you see where you are and see uh, when helping you is hurting me. So you have to be aware of yourself. Uh, there's a wonderful book by that name, and it might be out of print now, but it's very helpful for anybody who's having boundary problems. When, when helping, helping you, you, it's hurting me. By Carmen Renee Berry, I think is her name. And that was a big book in my history, uh, because that's basically what happens. You're helping other people at your own expense. So and that's kind so of your litmus test. When yeah. you're helping others and I'm starting to hurt, that means something is not right and I need to, to shift some yeah. boundaries. Yeah. Usually you're working too hard too. You're doing too much work. Mm -hmm. And the other person yes. is not doing work. They're letting you do it for them. Yes. Which kind of loops back with this idea that when we do trust our wisdom, our intuition, our soul 
And if you believe in God or cosmic awareness in your that relationship with it, there is less work. And actually, this is where the renewal and regeneration happens. We don't have to do it. It kind of flows through it. Um, and it's less work. Yeah. Thank you for naming it. If, if, if you're in a, a job that requires you to be listening and giving all day, I used to mentally put on armor every morning, mm -hmm. you know. Yes. <laughs> Whatever the clothing I was putting on. Um, just uh, visualize it as your armor uh, that is going to be um, not Im impenetrable. You know, you have to be able to give and receive through it, but it's going to filter. It's going to be a, an energetic filter that will allow you to give in a healthy way, allow you to receive what's coming at you with the ability to de detoxify it enough so that you can both work with it. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, as a, if you're listening and you're a Christian, obviously it's going to be a reference to put on the armor of Christ. But I've encountered this in spiritual care as well. You know, you can imagine a sphere of light in the morning and whatnot. I, I talk in detail about that, how to prepare for giving as a way to with bringing that sort of a sense of selfhood that you continue in relationship with, with the universe as you prepare for giving in the morning. Yeah. And of course, the other thing is a balanced life. Yes. You know, yeah. uh, you have to have a center of spiritual strength. And there's a lot of spokes to your wheel, physical, mental, emotional, psychological. And if you've attended to all, recreational, if yes. you've attended all of those spokes and you don't have any broken spokes, then you'll roll through the the through life the wheel of life yeah mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so you you shared already several things what you do to kind of maintain the sense of renewal and regeneration any i mean you mentioned in the morning right preparing and putting that armor you talked about the way of discerning when to say yes when to say no how to set boundaries um is there anything other tips or or nuggets how do you regenerate and renew on a daily basis in different seasons in life from your own experience because you know it's wonderful when we teach others but it's so much more cool when we actually share for our life you know this is what works this is what didn't work so what is your regeneration kind of system so others can get inspired and maybe resonate with something and say oh i want to use this well i think it started with a book by robert wicks Called, I think it's called Everyday Spirituality. And then it, it was deepened by my learning through Centering Prayer. But basically, it's finding ways to do small things on a regular basis that bring you back in touch with your intention. Mm -hmm. And so it can be um, the Native Americans. I have all of these things. I use all of these things. The Native Americans have a, a worry bag. You hang it on your doorknob, and it has little bells on it. So when you walk in the house, the bells ring and you leave your troubles outside. Or when you walk Ooh, out of that, this could ring. be like the separate and release at the end of the day. Yeah. Just yeah. put that bell. Oh, I love it. For Orthodox Christians, we usually have an icon of Christ with a vigil light right inside the door. And you ask for the blessing of the universe before you go out. And when you come in, you dump your problems there and ask for the blessing of a peaceful household. Mm -hmm. uh, gratitude. Uh, is a word that's bandied about a lot. I like to use the word thankfulness. Mm -hmm. I, wake, I have the privilege of living in a beautiful rural area with a lot of windows. And I look out, when I wake up in the spring, summer, and fall, and I look out, the first thing I do is open my eyes and I, my, I look right out the window. 
and there's beautiful either spring green or deep summer green or the fall colors. And it's so easy to, the first thing when I open my eyes, I'm in a setting where I say, oh, how beautiful. And I, what I've trained myself to do is every time I notice anything that's beautiful, mm -hmm. to add to it thankfulness for that beauty. I love that. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be gratitude, praise, and worship. It's just thankfulness. Mm -hmm. it, wow, I got to experience this beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. I'm so thankful for that. It's causing, noticing any little thing and really acknowledging. This is so amazing. I know in, in psychological research, they, they um, show that in general, our brain is more prone to any negative emotions, any negative in the, in the world we pick up is like a Velcro. And our brain is like a Teflon, you know, really slide off any positive events. So what you're saying is there's something beautiful. I, I want to dwell on it. And this is so amazing. You're saying, yeah, so this idea that, um, yeah, thankfulness and gratitude and using any little moment to really pause and bring that thankfulness inside. And, it, you know, if you're not in a beautiful setting, then it's a little more challenging. But to look to the beauty of the people around you, which is what people in concentration camps did, and also... Um, to search for the beauty of the fact that I will learn a lesson from this. And there is a universe supporting the fact that I'm alive mm -hmm. below all of this other stuff. So it's a lot harder to appreciate it in that setting. But if you're in a setting where there is just like some of the folks in Ukraine today, you know, you have to depend on your ability to use your third eye wisdom to look beyond the, sur the surface to that below, which is supporting you and which is guiding you. Mm -hmm. We have to learn lessons and we'll keep learning the, the same lessons until we learn them. But uh, yeah. within that is the beauty of the fact that we can learn lessons and that the universe is, is, is conspiring with us to learn those lessons and move us to a deeper or a higher or a more enlightened or more aware whatever you want to call it. Yes. And it's, I, I think it's important to, to know that it doesn't mean that people who are suffering, this is men, they need to learn a lesson. I think all of us were supposed to learn lessons. Yes. Sometimes it's harder when things are going away because we might not look for lessons, but I like what you said, this idea that no matter what is happening, we can still look for something that can bring some sort of a thankfulness. I even heard of this idea in while walking or going through a day to notice patterns, like mm -hmm. patterns of lines or geometrical shapes or particular colors, even if it's not a big variation and really kind of delight in that or just delight in random sounds that you know and many times we put value oh this is a beautiful sound it's a bird versus this is a i don't know a jackhammer outside of our door but there could be a pattern in that and even that can bring some joy and this idea that we can really delight in that i think that's what you're that's how it lands with me is that accurate mm -hmm. and that we can be resilient and flexible mm -hmm. and live through those things yes uh, yeah. The fact that we can do that, you know, yes. we're hardwired to be resilient. We're born into the material world and we cry for milk or a wet diaper 
And sometimes it's met immediately and other times it's not met immediately. And we learn to be resilient, uh, mm -hmm. even unconsciously in the world. And so that's, that's a gift not to be taken for this. Yeah. Thank you. Another for thing I, I love to do is talk about um, doing some kind of um, um, inspiring reading, mm -hmm. uh, every, no matter what it is. And it could be just a small snippet. It could be a paragraph. But, it, but to get yourself in the habit every day of doing some little bit of inspired reading and then taking the nugget from that and putting it in your phone on that thing that says notes. And then through the day when you have just a minute to go back and hit that note and, and kind of propagandize yourself, as Father Keating used to say, kind of remind yourself about, oh, this is the beautiful inspiration I'm trying to be focused on today. Mm -hmm. Back, back and forth to remind yourself. Um, I love it. I love it. So inspirations, noticing things that could be thankful for. Obviously, preparing for the day, separating at the end. Anything else that helps you kind of stay in the flow? Yeah, I have my uh, morning coffee with God every day. Oh, I love uh, that. If I don't have, I got that from Robert Wicks. If I don't have uh, time to do anything else. I almost always have time for that cup of coffee. And so what I try to do is to find a, a quiet space and sit down and have that cup of coffee quietly. Mm -hmm. And that cup of coffee just invites silence, the presence of peace, and appreciation for the fact that I have my coffee, if nothing else. Uh, but yeah, it can be as simple as that. And I'm so aware that younger people are so busy you have to find little snippet ways to do things, to get yourself in the habit of looking through the lens of the universe, um, the broader view of the avatar, you know, not stuck down here on the planet, but mm -hmm. putting yourself in the broader perspective of what will be important five years from now, 20 years from now, mm -hmm. thousand years from now, um, what values are going to persist and continue to sustain and guide humankind and and all of creation if humankind does manage to wipe itself out before a thousand years from now. <laughs> right. Oh, that's so beautiful. It almost reminded me of this idea of connecting with our future self, right? What will my future self 10 years from now or 20 years from now will value? And how can I nourish those things to support that? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, there's a good way to use future self and a good way to use the past memories and a bad way. And the bad way is just to get stuck in the memories. A bad way is to get stuck in idealizing the future. Um, but to go there and come back occasionally is very important because the most important thing is what you do right now. Right, right. That's the only time we have access to action and will and movement and do anything. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all this. And as we're wrapping up, I'm wondering any, what are any plans that you have right now? What are you working? Any projects that you're doing that you like to, to share with our audience? Well, I'm working mostly with the Rocky Mountain Center for Spiritual Caregivers here in Grand Junction. Um, we work on developing programs and retreats and stuff for um, spiritual um, mm. life and growth. Um, I, I'm working on teaching Centering Prayer and uh, 
just being present to any kind of endeavor that uh, is involved with that. Uh, if you're Orthodox Christian, I recommend growing through the groups Axia Women, uh, which is a dedicated to Orthodox women's leadership through St. Phoebe Center, if you're interested in the restoration of the order of deaconess in the church, and um, Ocamper, if you are a medical, psychological, or theological professional, it's about the dialogue between those, among those professions. And um, yeah, I just, uh, if you want to see what I'm doing, you go to the Rocky Mountain Center for Spiritual Caregivers website and see what I'm up to. But mostly I'm just up to um, mentoring others and doing spiritual direction, usually with uh, leaders, lay leaders, uh, priests, pastors, and former um, uh, students, mm -hmm. academic students or CPE students. Uh -huh. so CPE I I is the clinical pastoral care. Uh, Ocamper that Dee mentioned is the Orthodox Christian Medicine, Psychology and Religion. Um, what else you mentioned? The rock axia, axia in Greek. Axios means worthy, the masculine. Obviously, some languages have masculine and feminine, like Romanian. And axia means worthy is the towards women, feminine. What's that? Um, cool. And how about your books? I know you have a couple at least on your pipeline. Doesn't everybody have at least one book in them someplace? Yes. <laughs> and, yes. and like most older women, I've got three chapters done and we'll see if I ever finish it. <laughs> but I, yeah, I'm writing a book for my grandson and it's because my daughter keeps asking me these questions mm -hmm. that her son asks her that she doesn't have answers for. So I'm, I'm writing this mm -hmm. book for my daughter and my grandson to give them kind of like 10 or 12 basic perspectives that come from the esoteric early Christian um, time that is really focused on always having three answers uh, and how that plays oh. out in dealing with the world and dealing with the universe. Oh, that's um, so cool. Yeah. Always and have three answers. Writing chancers, uh, chapters for other people's books or whatever. I'm trying to write less and less. But I do want to write this one book for my daughter because that, that's a, a real simple, basic idea that helps particularly Westerners, Western culture, mm. that have gotten too much into the logic and the intellect to, you know, to reconnect yourself with the ancient perennial wisdom uh, that is that, yes, there's logic and intellect and there's also intuition and universal awareness. And there's also the third position that is the mystery of the universe beyond our ability to even comprehend. Mm -hmm. And if you apply that formula to every single relationship, to your ethical um, approach to things, to uh, your social justice approach, to your spiritual approach, it really, it plays out. Mm -hmm. So the logic, think through the logical, think through the hearts, your emotion, right? And kind of lead into also the mystery, which kind of the intu also intuition and wisdom kind of springs forth. Would you say that? Yeah. That's one way, but it's always any, whatever polarity you're in, look yes. for the other side yes. of the polarity. Or the third way, yes. And, and then put both of those things before the peace and wisdom of the universe for that to inform you. That's your third position, is right. to receive a new inspiration from the universe and then work to integrate how that looks on the, on the real world.
Yeah, that's great. And I'm, I'm always so delighted to see how the, the sense of the third position, it's, it's seeping through our um, scientific and psychological culture. So for example, even in marriage counseling, a diet is considered somewhat unstable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a two-legged uh, chair versus having a third position. So this is where, let's say, the therapist in the room brings that stability. Or in internal family system, you deal with polarities, but there's always a third way. There's always another way that would where both positions will actually make sense. And it is indeed a mystery, and it's some sort of a ability to stay in the unknown that mm-hmm. is needed and we can all cultivate that yeah yeah so anytime you feel stuck you're sitting on a one-legged stool yes <laughs> that's right that's right any other pieces of wisdom before we wrap up dr d no just um enjoy the blessing of being on the planet and the blessing of whatever kind of mind you have and whatever kind of um spirit you have and the blessing of the people around you and be sure to hang out with uh, people that have those same good intentions and um, compassion and uh, going out of their way in kindness for other people that's all you have to do and you you can find uh, quite a lot of peace and joy and happiness mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. wow thank you so much for for today it was such a delight and such a joy to, to connect with you and, and really hear what you have to share. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Blessings. Blessed be. Yes. Be yes. Your path and enjoy it. Thank, thank you. you so much. Same. Thank you so much for being part of this presentation and renewal conversations. And I hope that you get inspired by the sharings and the wisdom that Dr. D brought in today. And I want to thank you for all you do in the world, for how you pour out your heart and your mind. Even sometimes you might be tired or exhausted or questioning or wondering or doubting yourself. I want to really encourage you to keep on giving and keep on finding ways to regenerate and renew so you can bring light into the world. Thank you for your presence, this shared space and time. And until next time, I say goodbye for now.